If you'd like to listen to the entire interview, the place to go is our website, reorientpodcast.com. Sign up for membership, get access to our full library of content and exclusive events, all at reorientpodcast.com. For a limited time only, use the code REORIENT to get a discount off any membership tier. You'll also be supporting our work. That's reorientpodcast.com, promo code REORIENT. Thank you. You know, it was 1983 and it watched touchscreen and it was probably a Citizen or a Casio, you know, from Japan. And I'm sorry you don't believe me, you know, Apple did not invent the touchscreen watch, you know, <laughs> but it just, it just illustrated to me how much more advanced Asia was even back then. But also we've seen recently, you know, in the past 10 years, so much interest in the Chinese buying back things that were taken away from them. Hello, and welcome to the Reorient Podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander. And I'm Madhavi Peters, also known as The Tropicalist. Kevin Kwan, welcome to the Reorient Podcast. I'm super thrilled, thankful, and, and just, uh, yeah, to, to have a conversation with you. Same here. So I, I had some. I'm glad I, I, it's the technical aspect of doing a podcast is, does take a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a learning curve. So I, I had a slight panic moment 30, 50 minutes ago with the microphone, things weren't working, but I think it's, I think it's all good now. As long as you can hear me and I can hear you and it's not too echoey, works for me. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so using this, this new mic that the BBC sent to me to, to do uh, their recordings. So it's, um, Hopefully the sound fidelity is is works for you. It sounds good. Does it convert into a British accent? It could. <laughs> <laughs> so I've known you for a number of years and, and a huge fan of your work and what you're doing. I think you're perfect for what we are. So Kevin, I, I've read sort of an introduction to you that's sort of, I don't know, the public or things. And and I don't even know if Wikipedia is accurate, but would you mind just for our listeners who I think are going to be fairly broad, just give a quick introduction of how you would introduce yourself? I am Kevin Kwan and I am an author. I like that. Very succinct. Yeah. Um, and I should say Wikipedia is really not accurate. I don't know, you know, I, I'm not really a Wikipedia fan in terms of I, I don't know how to use it. I mean, I check stuff out on it, but one day my Wikipedia entry popped up out of nowhere and yeah. it was just threaded together with just the weirdest, most random and often the most inaccurate things were put together to create my quote unquote biography. And I actually met the CEO of Wikipedia a couple of years ago. And I said, Hey, is there, you know, I know you as the subject are not allowed to really futz with it. And I want to respect Wikipedia for what it is, but like if my bio is so completely inaccurate. What can we do about it? And she said basically nothing. <laughs> she said, you know, this is the thing about Wikipedia. You know, it's it's an organic, growing encyclopedia. It's it's you know open source. And she's like, usually the people who are alive really hate me because they all hate their bios. You are just like everyone I meet. They all want you know. They all see the inaccuracies. We are much better for dead people. 
<laughs> well, know, like that's, Tolstoy and that's what, or, or Jane Austen or something like that. So <laughs> it's pretty and, funny. I mean, that's that's hilarious, and that's what she thinks. I'm not sure that she can confirm how dead people feel about her or the product. That's a funny story, and I have heard from many people about inaccuracies, and also people who basically have a full time or part time staff who are manicuring their Wikipedia pages, I guess, to get the the message or the narrative that they want to be presented. You know, I've made my peace with it because I, I you know, I, I guess for me, there's so much press out there already and so much of it is already inaccurate. <laughs> like, where do you start, right? So I've, I've just made my peace with, you know what? It is what it is. You just have that's, to that's, yeah, that's, live your uh, life. No, that sounds like a great yeah. way to go. So, um, Kevin, just really quickly, just curious, like how you decided to make writing and other things your lifetime pursuit? Well, I didn't really. <laughs> you know, I am. I went to. I actually went to journalism school, so I, I am a trained journalist, and um, you know, have have written and worked journalistically. So, I graduated a very interesting time in 1994. And we were going through a bit of a recession at that point, and I couldn't really find a job as a writer, which you know is, is it's hard to come by even in the best of times. And so I pivoted and decided to do something different. At that point in 1994, I had just you know we we were studying a, you know, a lot of sort of future forecasting for what the media landscape would become, and. One of the things that I had learned and studied about theoretically was this thing called the information superhighway, as we were calling it then. And we were sort of watching this one satellite town in Orlando, Florida, I believe, that was really, I think, one of the first completely wired towns using what was then called the World Wide Web. So it was sort of the, the, the really, I got to see the infancy of something that we now use and is ubiquitous to our lives. But I felt at that time, after getting a degree, I kind I knew how to write. That's one thing I could do. I could form a sentence. But I thought that if I could combine that with visual skills and design skills, I could do stuff for this new invention called the interweb. I could build these web pages, write them and design them and all that kind of stuff. So I I moved to New York and and went to design school and that led me down a whole other path actually you know um into a world of creative consulting and branding and sort of photo editing and i was in that for about 15 years before i decided to just pick up the pen one day and just really kind of as an experiment really as a fun hobby try to write these short stories mm inspired by my childhood in Singapore, inspired by trips over the years to different parts of Asia. And they collectively became what is Crazy Rich Asians, my first novel. And it was completely accidental. Didn't think it would get published. Never expected to be published and um, never expected to make a life or a career as a full-time writer. But after the first book hit, and the publisher began demanding more. I just said, okay, you know, cost benefit analysis, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can do this <laughs> and it's quite rewarding. So while the, you know, the iron is hot, I might as well try to write more books and maybe they'll sell. Yeah. 
Well, uh, that's phenomenal. They've, you know, they've obviously just been huge successes. And it seems like there's a lot of serendipity in life and sort of being in the right place at the right time and the right moment and what's going on. And you tapped into something very powerful. There are a lot of aspiring writers, actors, aspiring other people, you know, to other professions out there. And a lot of people are faced with that dilemma of do they pursue a dream where they know there might be a very low probability of success in that career? Or do they just forego that for perhaps a kind of a more certainty and, and then maybe they can partake in their interests as a hobby or, you know, a sideline. What would you say to people that have that sort of see what you do and say, oh, I'd love to, you know, do that, but are not certain if, if that might, how that where that'll take them in life and, and if they'll have regrets. I mean, I'm, I'm always very cautious about wanting to give anyone advice, first of all, because I, I feel like everyone has such a different story and everyone has completely different circumstances so I'm I'm loath to suggest you know follow your passion at all costs you know even if you can't afford to pay your rent even if you <laughs> if you are digging through you know into a mountain of debt um just go for it um I'm a pragmatist you know I I did not go for it I kind of was on the long term plan where I, I I had a career that was meeting my needs financially that was partially satisfying because it was you know it was in the creative world. But I knew there was always this, this itch I wanted to scratch. But I chose to do that in my leisure time. But really dedicate myself to it in my leisure time. You, know, you have to create a discipline. And I find that a lot of very successful people I know in the creative world um, balance that. You know, I have a really great friend, Yanita Castro. She is um, one of the, the leading choreographers in the U.S. And she balanced a job working in publishing for many years for over a decade she actually was part of the sales team that planned the harry potter series so she was part of the you know the trade sales team and then having that job allowed her to fund her dance company to rent rehearsal space to pay her dancers to so she really dedicated really you know half her life to that when she wasn't working she was in the dance studio creating work and over the years it has paid off like the balance tips at some point where your passion either gathers steam and you're able to make that switch and do that full time for a living so somehow kevin when i hear you say that in my ears i feel a little bit of a of an asian influence about that sort of practicality and a plan and determination, maybe not just throwing everything into dreams and passion. I don't know if that makes sense to you or if, or if that's right. I, I absolutely think, yeah. I, how could I not be influenced <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the cultural programming and, and brainwashing of, of <laughs> having been born in Singapore and, and having, you know, Chinese Singaporean parents, you know? Um, yeah. In many ways, though, I, I think I, I was very lucky because my, my parents were far more unconventional than than the stereotypical you know asian parent they actually were quite the opposite they didn't really care what i did and they never gave me any guidance and they didn't you know they they were, <laughs> you know it, it's not like they didn't care they just 
they were very chill about things and they just figured he's just going to take care of himself. (laughs) And I think that sort of benign neglect actually made me choose to be more responsible. Um, You know what I mean? Because I didn't know driving, you know, authoritarian figures behind me going, you must do this. You must do that. And not having that net actually drove me to make much more practical choices. That I, I know exactly what you mean as a as a, I'm a father with with young children and and I see in my own family and maybe observe at other ones you know little emperors and little empresses and I do think there's something about that term benign neglect that used where a child will actually have more resourcefulness and more creativity and resilience maybe if we don't you know cater to their every whim and uh, direct them you know every hour minute of the day what they should be doing and focused on absolutely you know my my parents were of a certain generation and of a certain i guess social group where the adults had their lives <laughs> you know what i mean and they weren't they weren't here to entertain their children they had a very active social life with their friends And the family was fortunate enough that I grew up in an extended family in the sense that my parents could go out and do their thing. And my grandparents were in the house. I had an aunt that lived in the house. I had a, you know, I had a nanny, you know, it wasn't like I was neglected. There were always people around, you know, but I think I was really left up to my own devices a great deal of the time. And I think that is one of the best things in the world for creativity to foster that you need that time to be bored out of your mind to be able to invent worlds and invent games. And that's all we did growing up, me and my friends and little cousins and stuff like that. We would invent games. Yeah. yeah and obviously a lot of, yeah, we did not know, have Super Mario brothers to, to entertain us. Totally. I mean, a lot of great artists and people have achieved in different domains had really perhaps very less than ideal, maybe very difficult childhoods. And that probably, pushed or, or activated something in them to really achieve great things uh, in their lives. So, uh, Kevin, let me, uh, just curious on sort of identity, because that's a big theme, you know, in your books and uh, Asian and perhaps overseas Asian and a lot of uh, Chinese. I guess one question I'd have is, would you go around Asia and you interact with people, observe some of the cultural norms or the identity issues, and then you're in, say, the United States and you're interacting with Asian Americans, what would you say are sort of the biggest differences or what's most striking to you in terms of those distinctions? Well, specific to those cultures that you speak of, I, I feel like Asian Americans are completely different from you know asian asians it's yeah. it's it's a completely different can of worms altogether you know it, they're their their own complete cultures and i mean we could spend a whole hour talking about this you know <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting because i feel like i have always straddled both worlds mm-hmm. the thing with modern asia and and people that grow up there you know it's it's asia you know it's explosively exciting and stimulating and competitive and brash and wild and inventive and experimental and change is constant so you know and i think that's what to me that's what modern contemporary asians have to experience 
whether it's Singapore or Hong Kong or Taiwan or Japan or Korea, you know, it's, it's cultures that are completely shifting and morphing every single day. Whereas in the U.S., Asian Americans, number one, have to contend with being an other, you know, being a racial minority, trying to make it in an American Caucasian elite world. So it's, it's a whole different set of sound challenges, number one. And they're holding on to values and traditions that are in many ways static. It's the mores and the, the, the codes of conduct and the traditions that were brought over from whoever was the one that came over, whether it was grandpa or whether it was your parents, whether you're first, second, third generation, you know, I think you are in many ways indebted to whatever is going on from that generation that came over. And so that tradition of Asianness is not one that is evolving in the way that it, it does in Asia today. So they have to contend with that too. That's why you meet so many Asian Americans that actually have parents, grandparents who are so much more old fashioned in many ways than what you see in modern Asia. Of course, I'm grossly generalizing here. Um, <laughs> so that's my caveat. Like every family is different. Everyone has different experiences, but for the most part, I, I feel like there, there's some, there's some truth to what I'm to my analysis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I would say I've even observed the same things that you described. What about sort of the the current first generation Asians, you know, particularly say Chinese that are coming over who are with very different circumstances than say Asians or Chinese 30, 40, 50 years ago. So now they're coming over many very wealthy, perhaps very sophisticated, very well traveled. And perhaps again, more connected to where they came from, you know, thanks to digital media. How do you see this current wave of, of particularly Chinese immigrants coming to the U.S.? What's the cultural values they're bringing? And do you see that impacting sort of the overall Asian American zeitgeist? That's a very interesting question. And I have to say, I have very limited exposure to that world. First of all, I should say, I occasionally meet these people, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Chinese immigrants or Chinese students or, or, or Chinese people that are here on business. And I, I find them endlessly fascinating, first of all, but they could be from, they are as exotic to me as I probably am to them, quite frankly, <laughs> you know? But I, I do think that, you know, they are, of course, bringing that very, very ambitious entrepreneurial spirit that I think exists in modern China today. And, and they're applying it, you know, here. And from what I have learned from talking to, you know, I, I do talks at different universities and I talk to professors and department heads and people like that. A lot of times, it, it, there's two categories. You know, there are the kids that are here to learn and to apply and to really look for opportunity and to seize the day and to really create whatever they want to create. And you know, the the professors tend to be endlessly sort of impressed by them. And then there are the princelings. There are the crazy rich Asian kids that are here just to get a degree 
but really they're spending a lot more time <laughs> buying cars and <laughs> you know <laughs> going shopping and really having just in just enjoying being away <laughs> you know or enjoying this new world where they have ample cash and money to spend and burn you know so there's there's that and then of course there there's also you know the very very hardworking immigrant class of, of mainland chinese that you see all over the nation where they're just you know this is their new chance to make a new life and and so they're really breaking their backs working 18 hour day shifts to sort of actualize that american dream Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast and more high-quality analysis on Asia, please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.